Well, hi. Hi. I'm a little weary. Uh, we stayed up late last night. Yeah, they throw a late party. And, uh, yeah, and then uh, we preached in uh, Montova this morning. We drove down and, and preached, and uh, it was a really good time. And uh, if I, I told several people, if I fall asleep, just throw something at me, and I'll be good. I'll be good to go. Um, but I know once I get started preaching it, uh, yeah, I'm not going to fall asleep. I don't normally recycle sermon introductions. I do sometimes simply because it's so perfect that I have to use it. And so some of you have heard me uh, introduce uh, a sermon with this introduction before, but most of you probably haven't because you haven't been around very long. I'm going to tell you two true stories, and I want you to tell me which one, which one of these stories is the tragedy. Okay? You understand? Two true stories. First story. April uh, 2000, Ruby uh, Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon, West Africa. They both were in their 80s. They had poured their lives into making Christ known uh, to the unreached people groups in that area. They had spent their life sharing the gospel and doing medical relief work. One day as they were making their rounds, the brakes failed on their car and they went over a cliff. Both were killed instantly. Is that story a tragedy? Second story, February 1998, the Joneses, an American couple from the northeast of the U.S., took early retirement at age 59 and 51, and they moved to Florida, and they fill up their days cruising on a 30-foot trawler, playing softball, and collecting seashells. Is that a tragedy? <laughs> Sam, I know you think it's a trick question. But it's not a trick question. It's not, you've heard this before, right? It's not a trick question, but it does reveal how we view this life. What our perspective is. Is, it, is our perspective eternal or is our perspective temporal? I suspect if you stopped a thousand people on the street, 999 of them would tell you that the first story was the tragedy. But if you bumped into a born-again believer, someone who was hopelessly in love with Christ, he might tell you that that second story is in fact a tragedy. People spending their lives on, as John Piper says, trifles. I borrowed both of these stories from Piper's book, uh, Don't Waste Your Life. It's usually on the book table, but I don't think we have any tonight. I, I'm sorry for that. Uh, I didn't get the book table replenished. There's one. Okay, so you can yeah, duke it out for the, the one that's left. But listen to what, listen to what Piper says about, about Ruby and Laura's life and death. These two lives were driven by one great passion, namely to be spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Christ. Even two decades after most of their American counterparts had retired to throw away their life on trifles, their lives and their deaths were not a tragedy but a glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. The second story Piper borrowed from a Reader's Digest. He said when he first read it, he thought it was a spoof on the American dream. This is what he writes about the Joneses. Come to the end of your life, your one and only precious life, your God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your Creator be this. Playing softball and collecting shells. Picture this couple before Christ at the judgment. Look, Lord, 
See my shells. See my shells. Do you understand? Christian, do you understand? Do you understand the point I'm making? You should. If you're a Christian tonight, you should. Paul gets this for us. And he says it in such a compelling and beautiful way. For to me, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul understands the universe doesn't revolve around him. It's not about him. It's about Jesus. He's God. Uh, I mean, uh, pardon me. He, God's God and He's not. It's not about Him. The Holy Spirit has taught this to Paul. When under the inspiration, Paul wrote two to four years earlier before he penned the book of Philippians, Romans 11.36, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Beloved, I say it to you all the time, but I can't say it to you enough. I can't say it uh, to myself enough. It's not about you. It's about Christ. It's the John 11 thing. The one cell creature under the rock in the deepest part of the ocean, the deepest and blackest part of the ocean, that's about the glory of God. The asteroid on the farthest galaxy in the cosmos, that's about the glory of God. And beloved, you, your soul, your life, your body, your marriage, your kids, your career, your money, your hobbies, your plans, your dreams, your trials, your pain, your sicknesses, your death are all meant to be for the glory of God. Does anyone understand that? This is what Paul is saying. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Biblical Christianity. Again, we talked about it last week some. It's John 11. It's Martha and Mary and Lazarus. John 11 is really a tutorial on how to process trial in the Christian life. What was Martha and Mary and Lazarus' trial about? What did Jesus say? Lazarus had died and Martha and Mary came to Christ. What did Jesus say it was about? Does anyone remember? This is for the glory of God. Beloved, when was the last time you were, you were ill? And your first thought was, this is for the glory of God. Or maybe your second thought. Or your, maybe your third thought was your fourth thought. Beloved, if you're a Christian, all that God brings through your life, He means to be glorified in it. We talked a lot about it last week. So in, in uh, this trial that Mary and Martha and Lazarus went through, Jesus was growing the faith of His disciples. We talked about this last week. He was converting the lost. And the thing we didn't really talk a lot about last week is He's bringing His joy. He's bringing His joy to His people. This is a huge theological point. Many Christians don't understand. God is always pursuing His glory. And God is always pursuing the joy of His people. They're one and the same. They're not two pursuits. They're the same pursuit. As God pursues His glory, He's pursuing His people's joy. It's what we see in John 11. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He was glorified and oh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus and their friends were what? Euphoric. This is how God works in the lives of his people. I can just see Martha and Mary and Lazarus sitting around the table with Jesus eating dinner. Yeah, and Lazarus was most recently dead. 
but now He's not. Can you imagine the joy at that table? So Paul understood the lesson of John 11. He understood it. He knew, he knew his life was about something more important than himself. Beloved, I bet there's more than one person in this room who has not yet learned that. You have not been put here to glorify and honor yourself and hoard up and have a life of comfort and ease and excess. That's not why we're here. That's not why we're redeemed. What's it about? It's about the glory of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is saying to us in this epistle of joy. Last week we saw that uh, prison couldn't touch his joy. We saw that uh, being slandered couldn't touch his joy. And tonight he tells us that death cannot touch his joy. Beloved, do you know Christ like that today? Do you know Christ like that? Can you face death fearlessly? Are you ready to go? Paul says, hey, it's a game to you. How many believe it? How many believe it? Paul says it's a gain. It is a gain. So Paul knows without a shadow of a doubt which opening story was the tragedy. He knows that the Joneses have settled for temporal things. They've sold out and they've settled. When infinite joy was before them in Christ Jesus. We talked a lot about it last week. Ruby and Laura got life right. They gave themselves away to Christ. And we talked some about it last week. We find out when we give ourselves away to Christ, we actually find ourselves in Christ. Amen? When you give yourself away wholly to Him, you actually find out who you are in Him. And you really begin to live for the first time in your life. You know, living is not walking around with brain waves and inhaling and exhaling. That doesn't necessarily mean your life. I met, I've known a lot of dead people walking around inhaling and exhaling. Jesus says, I've come to give you God-sized life, Christian. Paul understood it. And you couldn't steal. You couldn't steal His joy to live as Christ and to die is gain. Verses 19 and 24, I know that this, uh, this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ shall even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul says, I know. We saw this last week. What text was it we looked at last week where Paul says, I know? Anyone remember? Nobody remembers. Romans 8.28. What does Paul say? I, I, I think that God will come through. I, I hope He'll come through. I believe that... I suppose He'll come through. What does Paul say in Romans 8.28? We know it! We can live fearlessly. That's right, Ethan. Amen, brother. Amen. We know it. And he says it here again. He says, I know. I know. I know if I trust Christ, it's all going to work for my good. Look, he doesn't know if he's going to be temporally delivered or not. Verse 19, he talks about deliverance, but you go down to verse 20. He says, whether by life or death. And he's talking about being delivered. And actually, the Greek here is he's talking about the, soul, uh, the safety of his soul. If you look at the Greek. He says, I know my soul is safe no matter what happens here. 
Beloved, we should be fearless. It's like I've said to you so many times, if we really get this, man, we, we should be the most dangerous people on the planet. I mean, we're bulletproof. We are bu we're Batman. We're Batman. Until God calls us home, no one can take us out. We're Batman. We're spiritual Batman. All we need is a cape. Let's forget the cape. No, that's no good on the cape. But we can do all things through Christ and we can be fearless because He's the God He is. And beloved, the Lord means for us to live like we really believe that. And I'm going to challenge you down to your socks tonight if it's within my power to do that. Romans 8.28, we know that God causes all things to work together uh, for good to those who love God, those called according to His Purpose. And Paul says, it doesn't matter if I live. It doesn't matter if I die. I know that my deliverance is here. I know that my deliverance will come. Whether Jesus saves my life or not, in a temporal sense, I belong to Him. I'll be with Him forever. It's gain to me, he says. What an awesome way to live. Man, you don't really know how to live until you're ready until you know how to die, right? Until you're ready to die. The man who is ready to die, he, can, he is the man who can really live. Paul says, this is gain to me, man. To go to Jesus, it is uh, gain to me. Listen to Piper here. Real faith is utterly in love with all that God is and all that God will be for us beyond the grave. Real faith loves God more than family, more than job, more than life, pardon me, more than money, more than dream houses, more than retirement. Real faith loves God more than life, Real faith says, whether God handles me tenderly or gives me over to torture, I love Him. He is my reward. Beloved, is that true of you? Is that true of you? What an awesome life. What an awesome life. Magnifying the Lord. Real faith. Whatever Jesus calls us to do, we do it. Albeit imperfectly. Real faith. Biblical faith. So Paul says, hey, I'm not sure about this deliverance. I'm not sure how it's going to work out, but it doesn't really matter to me. I love Jesus. I'm going to honor Jesus in my life. Some would say Paul was imprudent and careless and reckless. Has anyone ever said that to you? I've had it said to me before. But I want to say to you, uh, if I was overly prudent, I'd still be sitting behind my desk in Little Rock doing debits and credits. Okay? If I was... If I didn't believe God would show up, I'd still be doing accounting. And I would still be hating it. There's nothing wrong with accounting. I just don't, it doesn't make my heart beat fast. Preaching the Gospel does. Beloved, many times in your life, you'll know that God's calling you to do a thing that no one around you understands. It doesn't matter if they understand. You know what? It doesn't even matter if you understand. We talked about that this morning in, in Montava. Abraham didn't understand when, when the Lord called him to sacrifice Isaac. He just obeyed. He just obeyed. So Paul lives. He's trusting the Word. He's trusting, he's trusting in prayer. Did you notice? He says, I, I trust in the promises of God. Then he says, I, I know that I'll be delivered through your prayers. So he's trusting in the prayers of the Philippians. There in verse 19. I know God is working in your prayers. And there's about 50 sermons here. But I'm just going to just briefly talk to you about, about prayer. 
As you heard me pray earlier, God insists that His people pray and He insists on answering those prayers. I love what Proverbs 15.8 says, the prayer of the upright. Does anyone know? The prayer of the upright is my delight, says the Lord God. Did you know your prayers are delight to the Lord? Did you know you could bring delight to the Lord? I love that thought. I really do. I love that thought. And God means business here. He means for us to be a praying people. And God is eager to, to answer your prayers. As one commentator said, God is impatient. Isaiah 65.24 It will come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear, the Lord says. And you know that awesome promise in Matthew 7.7? 7, 7, ask. Jesus says, ask. And what will happen? He says, he says, seek. And what will happen? He says, knock. And what will happen? It's one of my FAQs as a pastor, most frequently asked questions. If God is sovereign, why should I pray at all? Well, first of all, we know that we're commanded to pray. But did you know, beloved, do you know your Bibles? Do you know that God works through the prayers of His people? The prayers of His people are the means through which the sovereign God works. Do you understand this? I've met people who are too far out there on the sovereignty end and they lose all perspective and they just they don't pray anymore. Beloved, God has called His people to be prayer warriors. You remember that great text, Ezekiel 36. The Lord says, I'm going to do... He tells Israel, and I won't go through it, but all of these things, He says, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to do this for you, Israel. But then He says, I will have you ask Me for it. Do you remember the great text? Ezekiel 36. Go study it. He says, I'll have you ask Me for it. I've purposed to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to bless you. But you must ask Me for it. And then you'll know that I am the living God. This is what the Lord says. Paul gets this about prayer. He says, I know my deliverance is sure through your prayers. He's standing on the promise of God, Romans 8.28. He's standing on the prayers of the people around him. Paul gets this. This is important in his life. It's awesome. Prayer is not a small thing to God. It's not some peripheral or incidental issue. God has ordained and purposed to work through the prayers of His people. Paul gets this. He, he doesn't presume to know if he's going to be temporally delivered or not. He's not a name it and claim it guy. And he doesn't dictate to God. But he offers up his prayer. He, he cries out to God and he tells his people, cry out to God and we'll trust God to do the perfect thing. Beloved, the longer I, the longer I live, the longer I'm a Christian, this is where I come to in my prayer time. I just give it up to God. I don't even think I'm smart enough to ask for what I... I don't, I don't think I'm smart enough. There's nothing wrong with asking the Lord. He tells us, He, he calls us to, 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 to ask and to make our petitions. But you know, Paul just trusts God. He doesn't dictate to God. He, does, he doesn't say, God, I want to I get out of prison Thursday at 5 o'clock. He cries out to God, God, this is my plight. I know I'm in Your sovereign providence. I, Lord God, let me be bold for You in that sovereign providence. Let me be a witness for you. So Paul's trusting God's Word. He's trusting in prayer. And look what else he's trusting in at the end of verse 19. He's trusting in the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit. Verse 19. Beloved, 
I'm always amazed at how unamazed your average Christian is that the Bible teaches you are indwelt by the third member of the Trinity. When was the last time you got on your face and you worshipped God? Because you are indwelt by the third member of the Trinity. This is the most breathtaking truth. One of the most breathtaking truths in Scripture. And it seems, it seems like many, many, many Christians completely take this for granted. Paul says, I've got the Word. I've got prayer. I've got the third member of the Trinity inside me. He says, man, I'm Nike. What does Nike mean? Anyone remember? I'm an overcomer. No one can touch me. No one can hurt me. Until God's ready to call me home. He's Batman. He's spiritual Batman. He's a spiritual Batman. That's what we can be too. The Word of God is His confidence. The prayers of God's people are His confidence. And the Holy Spirit is His confidence. Yes, there's evil uh, in the world. It's real. Satan is real. And if you're a Christian, Satan hates you. And he wants to kill you right now. The only reason he can't kill you right now is your father is God. Satan hates the Christian. But what does the Word of God tell us in 1 John 4.4? But greater is He who is in you than he uh, who is in the world. Amen? Amen. This is what Paul is saying. He says, man, I I rest in uh, the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit. You remember that night before the cross and Jesus was teaching His men in John 16. He says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, shall not come to you. Man, what awesome words. Jesus says, man, it's good that I go. Because the Holy Spirit's going to come to you. Beloved, are you appropriating the, the power of the Holy, the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you worshiping God? That you will ultimately be saved because the Holy Spirit will save you. He will finish your sanctification. He will finish bringing you into conformity with the Lord Jesus. Jesus told him, his, his men that night before the cross, He said, the Spirit of truth will abide with you and in you. The Spirit is your helper and He'll teach you all things. The Spirit will disclose everything of mine to you. What an awesome thing. Don't ever take it for granted. Don't ever take the Holy Spirit for granted. Jesus told the man before He ascended into heaven, He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You know, all those seemingly impossible things that God calls us to do in the Scripture, you know why? (laughs) They're not impossible. Do you know why? Because the third member of the Godhead indwells you. We're studying this in men's Bible study and and young adult Bible study. You know that that text we looked at a year or so ago, James chapter 1, verse 2, and God says this really crazy thing. He says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Now, how, do you, how in the world do you do that? How in the world do you do that? Through the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. God actually expects, expects supernatural responses from His children because He indwells His children. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, I, man, I, I stand on the Word. I'm trusting in prayer. And I've got the Spirit of Christ in me. 
You've got everything you need, beloved. You've got everything you need. You've got everything you need to be a radical disciple of Jesus. A radical disciple of Jesus. Greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. And Paul, Paul you know, he, he's just like us. His first inclination is to feel sorry for himself and to whine and to get on, into a pout and to wring his hands. And, you know, that's his first inclination. He's human. He's just like the rest of us, but he will not succumb to that. And he trusts in the Spirit of the Lord. As he's in prison, as he's being slandered, as he faces the death penalty, the Holy Spirit is reminding him that these momentary light afflictions are producing an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And the Holy Spirit is reminding him that I'm working everything for good. You know, I really believe if, if your average Christian just really got a hold of Romans 8.28 and really believed it, There's no telling what he could what he could accomplish in his life, for the glory of Jesus and for the propagation of the gospel and for the salvation of the lost. Paul really believes and he really trusts, and because he really believes and he really trusts, he lives it and he he acts upon the word of God. It's not academic with him. It's not academic, beloved. You hear me say this a lot. It's not academic. Christianity, biblical Christianity is not academic. God means for us to do the Word. He means for us to to get on Jesus' heels and never look back. And to do the Word. That's what Paul is doing in verse 20. As I said to you earlier, he doesn't know if he's going to live or die, and he says it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I just want to exalt Christ. I just want to exalt Him. I just want to honor Him. Now here's a man who understands why He was created and why He was redeemed. He understands. It is about Christ. Not just on Sunday, but every day. It is about Christ. And in every circumstance of my life, it's about Christ. In my marriage. With my my trial with my children, in my job. It's about Christ. And this is Paul lived at this really high level. It wasn't about anything less than Jesus. <laughs> 24-7. Wow. Amazing, amazing man. He says, I, I don't care what happens. I just want to be bold for Christ in my life or be bold for Christ in my death. Everything else is subordinate to Christ being honored. You know, John Piper talks about, I think his famous saying is, uh, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, we could say it this way, when I choose to maximize Christ's glory in my life, I will taste and experience the very joy of God. Beloved, I've said this to you, I guess ever since we started preaching through Philippians. If there's a lack of joy in your life, there's probably a lack of obedience in your life. Somewhere you sat down and you're not hot on the heels of Jesus Christ anymore. And so your life has become a little bit blasé. It's a little bit maybe, I don't know, boring. 
Maybe. I don't know. Maybe you don't have the joy you used to have in Christ. Well, I want to say to you, that's an obedience issue. It's always an obedience issue. Because if you're walking with Christ, there will be, there will be joy in walking with Him. Verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If you push me to the wall and say, Jim, you know, you can only have one verse in the Bible. You only get one. And I want you to tell me the essence of Christianity. If some unbeliever came to me or even some uh, immature believer and they said, hey, tell me exactly what Christianity looks like. Tell me what it really is. I'll give you one verse. This is it. This is real Christianity. It's not brain-dead, heart-dead religion. It's not liturgy. It's going out there and living for the glory of Jesus every day. It's this verse. To live is Christ. To die is gain. This is Christianity. It's Christianity. It's that sacred, eternal, infinite, breathtaking romance with the Lord. I want to say it to you again. I've said it to you a hundred times. Jesus is better than anything this life can give. And Jesus is better than anything death can take. This is what Paul's saying. In Philippians 1.21, Jesus is better than anything this life has to offer. He's better. He's better than everything is what He's saying. And Jesus is better than anything death can take. Because for me, to die is gain. What an awesome testimony. So let me ask you, beloved, is Philippians 1.21 true for you? Is Christ your preeminent passion and your preeminent love? This is what Paul's talking about. And in my view, although none of us do it perfectly, in my view, this is real Christianity. This is born-again Christianity. This is begotten of God. Christianity. Let's just do a little experiment here and I'm done. Almost. What if we took the word Christ out of Philippians 1.21? Look at your Bible. Just take out the word Christ and you just leave it blank. Okay? You with me? We're going to take out the word Christ. We're just going to leave that blank. Okay, what would your spouse write in, write in that blank about you? What would your, uh, what would your children write in that, in that blank about you? What would your best friend write in that blank about you? What would your colleagues write in that blank about you? I know you've already figured out if you write anything other than Christ in that blank, dying will be loss. If you write anything other than Jesus Christ in that blank, dying will be loss. If you write money, prestige, success, career, family, spouse, children in that blank, uh, if you write anything but Christ in that blank, death will be loss. Death will be loss. And it takes us back to where we started. Do you see why Ruby and Laura's death was not a tragedy? Do you see why the Joneses' retirement was? The Joneses would have to confess that to live was preeminently about comfort and ease and entertainment. Because that's the signature of their life. That's what they're about. They just hoarded up money so they could have fun. That's a tragedy, beloved. If we call, if we call ourselves Christians, it, in, to me it's a biblical tragedy. But Ruby and Laura... They understood Philippians 1.21. They spent their lives writing Jesus Christ in that blank. To live really was about Jesus. 
And to die really was gain. You know, if you're a Christian tonight, <laughs> it's only going to get better. You haven't even seen your best day yet. Your best day is the day you leave. And you see Him. And you see the Lord. And He smiles. And there He is. And He says, Welcome. And He embraces you. And He says, Well done. My good and faithful servant. Well done. You have, beloved, we haven't seen anything yet. We haven't seen anything yet. All of our best days are before us. And my challenge to you is that you understand that. And that you... You build your life around that truth. John Piper calls Philippians 1.21 a tsunami verse. And he's right. It's a tsunami verse. You either get it or you don't get it at all. You either love it or you, you're really, really scared of it. So it divides the sheep and the goats. You know? It divides the men from the boys. It divides the pretenders from the believers. Romans, pardon me, Philippians 1.21. You know, if you... If, there's just no middle ground here. You either get it and you love it or you don't get it at all and you're scared to death of it. <clears throat> so I want to say to you tonight, if you're scared of it, I think you have some business to do with the Lord. I want to invite you to go home and do business with God. Tell Him that you want it to be about Him. Repent of your sin, of letting it become about anything other than Him. Go home and do some business with the Lord. You either go with Christ or you don't. Religion's not going to do you any good. You either go with Jesus or you don't. And we talked about it a lot last month, and I'm finished. Jesus has called his people to sold out discipleship, not to religion, not to church attendance. Not to Bible studies. Church attendance and Bible studies are good. Those are good things. But He means for us to be sold out, narrow road, fruit-bearing Christians. Disciples. Supreme love disciples. Philippians 1.21 To live is Christ and to die is infinite gain. Let's pray together. Father, I fear that some of us in this room may have become distracted by something in the world. Maybe it's a relationship or a career or a job or money or power. or I don't know what it is. But Father, I pray that each one of us would, would come clean with You tonight. and If we need to, we'd go home and do some business with You. And Father, we would get to the place where, where we could really confess with the Apostle Paul that to live is all about Jesus. And to die will be the best day I've ever experienced thus far. Lord, I pray that we, we would understand Christianity to that degree. 
Father, I pray that our lives would not be tragedies in the making. That we would not be building them around the priorities of the world, but we would be building them around Jesus and what He's called us to do. So Lord, thank You for this exhortation. Thank You for this beautiful text. Thank You for this beautiful verse. And it is our confession. Lord, although we don't do it perfectly, it is, it is our motivation and our drive and our hope that our lives would honor You. That to live would be about Jesus and to die would be gain. Oh Lord, teach us this, we pray. Teach us this truth. I pray we would appropriate it. For the glory of Your Son. It's in His name that I pray. Amen.